Hello and welcome to the Bigger Than Us podcast. I'm your host, Raj Daniels, and today I'd like to welcome Amy Hall to the show. Amy Hall is an Ontario native currently living in Victoria, BC. She received her master's degree in art history from Queen's University before working as South Pond Farm's wedding and event coordinator, where she was featured on the series Taste of the Country on Netflix. Growing up in Lake Country instilled a deep appreciation for the water at an early age, and she was able to combine her passions of art and ocean conversation by founding Goldilocks Raps. Amy, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. Amy, thank you for being on. Now, where in the world are you located? I'm in Victoria, BC, so out on the West Coast in Canada over here. And how's the weather up there right now? It's actually beautiful. It's very sunny right now. It's the morning and I'm sitting in my kitchen and the sun has been hiding for quite some time. So I'm very happy about that. <laughs> Lovely to hear that. So Amy, I'd like to kick the show off by asking my guest the following question. If you were asked to share something interesting about yourself, what would it be? Ooh, I don't know. There's so many things <laughs> that come to mind. Um, we can spend the whole show on it. Yeah. I think one of the sort of fun facts about me um, that people sort of learn as they get to know me, there's a couple of things. One is that I have a background in art history, which seems sort of random, um, but I think actually ties well into what I do now with work. Um, and that I'm actually a fairly avid scuba diver, and I really enjoy diving with sharks. Now. That is super interesting and super relevant to me. I was having a conversation this past weekend with a gentleman and telling him about a skiing trip I'm going on. And we talked about skiing for a bit. Then he said, have you ever tried scuba? Mm -hmm. And I said, no, I have this unreasonable fear of scuba. I guess I was introduced to Jaws too early in life. Mm -hmm. And I've jumped out of airplanes, but the idea of being in an environment where I can't breathe just kind of freaks me out a little. Yeah, so. it's funny. My mom actually has the exact same fear. She says that she was terrified of Jaws um, when she was growing up, and it's it's actually almost scarred her for life. She's very terrified of the water. I'm not entirely sure where my love of the ocean and the water came from. My dad doesn't really like swimming. Um, I grew up in Ontario, and in the summers it would get quite hot, and we had a pool, and my dad would maybe go in once a year. Uh, my mom won't even like dip her toes in the ocean, um, but I grew up uh, lifeguarding and teaching swimming lessons and learning to scuba dive. I also love surfing. I'm terrible at it, but I quite enjoy being in the water and doing it. Um, so I've sort of inherited this love of water from from somewhere. I think just I've always been attracted to it since I was a kid. Um, so for me, learning to scuba dive, I was already very comfortable in the water, luckily. Um, so I, I understand that, your perspective as well. Though. <laughs> but I suggest you try it. I think once you do it once, you you will fall in love with it and realize it's not as scary as it maybe seems. And the instructors are great and they're very focused on making sure that, you know, you're safe and you're comfortable and there's progressions. They're not just going to kind of, you know, throw you into the deep end, so to speak. So I did some practice as a child, I mean, mm -hmm. as a teenager with scuba and I was surprised at, you know, I was expecting everything to be really heavy and clunky and we did it in a pool Mm -hmm. And I was really surprised at how light everything was, you know, not, not realizing the gravity in the water back then. Mm -hmm. And I have snorkeled since then, but um, I'll take some advice from you offline regarding scuba and maybe I'll take my kids scuba here soon. Yeah, absolutely. They would love it. <laughs> so tell me a little bit more about the art history. 
Yeah, so I went to school, like I said, in Ontario. Um, I actually have a master's degree in art history. Um, I thought for quite a while what I wanted to do with that was to be an art history professor. Um, it's still something that I love and I really enjoy. I haven't been in that sort of academic world for quite some time, but um, I had finished my master's and spoken to some of my supervisors. Um, and really sort of the uni university academia world is shifting a little bit and has been for quite some time just in terms of, you know, how their hiring process works and a lot of people being on contract and being able to find tenure track positions is quite difficult. And I ultimately decided that I what I wanted to do was see if I could find something that I loved equally as much with the amount of schooling that I had. Um, my dad always gave really great advice. He said, you know, school's not going to go anywhere. You can always go back when you're 40. If you decide that that's what you want to do as an institution, I don't think they're going to crumble anytime soon. So, you know, see what you can fall in love with, um, you know, outside of that. And I took that advice and that's what I did. So, um, I ended up working at a graphic design studio for a little while. Uh, and then also was a wedding planner after that. So I've had a very kind of interesting interconnected. You wouldn't think that maybe all of those jobs are interconnected, but a lot of what I learned, um, you know, visually and aesthetically, and just, I love things that ultimately are, are beautiful and look nice. Um, all of that kind of played into all of my subsequent roles, as well as what I'm doing now as well. Well, that's a perfect lead into your current organization, Endeavor. Can you share with the audience a little bit about it? Yeah, absolutely. So I own a company called Goldilocks Wraps, and we make reusable beeswax food wraps. Um, so basically, you use them instead of saran wrap. Um, but they're one of the things that I love about them is that they're beautiful. I curate all of the prints. And so it's something that's both, you know, fun, beautiful, but also practical. And it's good for the environment. Obviously, they're reusable, you just wash them with cold water. And then they last for most people for around a year, it kind of depends on you know how much you're using them, how hard you are on them, those kinds of things. Um, but then at the end of their lifespan, you can actually compost them. So they're totally zero waste that way. So much better than saran wrap for sure. And how did you come up with the idea? So it actually all started when I was working with a shark conservation project in Fiji. Um, I wouldn't say that I came up with the idea there by any means, but that's where my inspiration came from. It was the first time I had really learned about like how serious the um, like plastics in the ocean problem is. Um, and, and diving, you're confronted with it a lot more firsthand as well. But realizing that, you know, those things that I was seeing under the water actually never go anywhere. They just take different forms. They break down into smaller pieces. It's essentially going to live here far beyond my lifetime um, was a real eye opener for me. Um, so I decided after that particular trip that I was just going to make some changes in my own personal life. You know, I didn't leave that project thinking I'm going to start a business by any means. Um, but was traveling in Australia afterwards for a little bit since I was already over in that part of the world uh, and saw beeswax wraps there for the first time. Had never seen them here in Canada, had never heard of them. Again, was very new to this sort of like zero waste world, trying to live plastic free, thought it was really cool. Came home and decided I was going to try and make some for my mom as a gift. Um, she, we always used to joke because she used a lot of plastic wrap <laughs> as a kid growing up. Um, so I thought, this is great. It's something that's easy for her to use. Um, it's just a use this, not that. You know, it's not a huge habit change that you need to implement. It's just, you know, stop using saran wrap, start using, start using these instead. Um, needless to say, making them was a little bit more complicated than I had anticipated it to be. <laughs> I don't know if that was just naive on my part. Um, so it took me a few weeks to actually really figure out how 
to properly make them uh, because I wanted them to feel like the ones that I saw when I was in Australia. I was, I was impressed by them. They were quite sticky. And, you know, I thought if they don't function like a plastic wrap, then, you know, my mom's not going to use them. She's going to go back to using what she was doing before. Um, but by the time I figured out, I guess you could essentially call that my research and design phase unintentionally. So, uh, but once I figured all that out, I had a lot of ingredients and I decided that, you know, maybe I would make a few more because I didn't want to waste these ingredients. You know, that's the whole point of living a zero waste lifestyle is you're not, you know, having things go to waste as much. Um, so I thought, well, I ended up making about 50 of them and, you know, my mom didn't need all of those. So we gave them to some friends. I took a couple to farmer's markets, um, didn't know if they would sell at all at this particular farmer's market. I'm from a pretty small town. <laughs> so I thought, you know, they're not, the town itself isn't overly eco-conscious, but um, I ended up selling out within the first two hours. And to me, that was the first time I, I was like, oh, this could be a thing. This could be a business. This is something that um, I could take seriously. So that was sort of how that all came to be. That's an amazing story. Without revealing too much, how do you make those? So it's shifted a little bit over time. Um, obviously, when I first started started out, I was actually just making them in my apartment, in my kitchen, which I don't recommend. It's a very messy process. There's beeswax. I always say beeswax is like an invasive species. It ends up everywhere. <laughs> um, but, you know, when I first started making them, it's been the same ingredients the whole way through. So it's always a cotton base um, that's been washed and uh, ironed and cut. And then there's a combination of beeswax, tree resin, and jojoba oil are the three main ingredients. And that's what makes them sort of, so there's the beeswax, which adds those like antibacterial properties, helps keep your food fresh for longer. Um, but it's the tree resin and the jojoba oil that create that sort of like stickiness, the malleability, those kinds of things. So playing around with those ratios was what I did for the first little while. Um, but now we have, you know, a proper commercial space and a bit more industrial equipment. So we're able to make uh, larger quantities and those sorts of things. So do you buy the beeswax or do you raise bees? I wish we raised bees, but um, living in Victoria, we don't have the space right in town. I also know nothing, not, not, nothing. I've learned quite a bit since I've started doing this, but um, I'm not a beekeeper by any means. So we have a local apiary that we work with. So they're on the island here. Um, they do get beeswax. They work with other apiaries on the mainland as well. Um, and then they have a facility where they process everything and they're wonderful. So we just have to drive you know, about 20 minutes out of town and we can go meet with um, our supplier there and she's wonderful and she's so knowledgeable. She's a master beekeeper. Um, we're actually going to be doing a tour with her shortly. We're going to do a video with some with an interview, um, ask her some questions, learning more about her process just to share that with our following. Um, but she's wonderful. So we're really lucky that, that we found her as a contact. Lucky for you, right there locally. Yeah, it's really nice, especially with beeswax. It's very expensive to ship because it's quite heavy. Um, but And we want to support locally as much as we can as well. That's really amazing. So, Amy, switching gears a little bit, one of the things I like to focus on on the show is the why behind what you do. Now, you mentioned briefly regarding diving with the sharks, which we'd love to get into later also. But, you know, there's an opportunity cost to doing this. So what's your driving why? Yeah, and it's it's been about three years that I've been doing this. And I think, I mean, at the core, it's shifted a little bit, but at the core, it's always the same. Um, for me, it was wanting to eliminate any kind of, you know, single use plastics. That was what I was trying to do in my life, trying to go zero waste. Um, but also wanting, I think really wanting to make it less daunting for people to who are interested in giving that lifestyle a go. Because I know for me and a lot of people that I talk to, 
Once you do realize that there's so much plastic that we're using in our lives, it can be very overwhelming to try and make a change. It's very easy to think, well, well what's the point? There's so much. I'm never going to get, you know, maybe change all of these habits or get rid of all of my plastic. Like, how am I ever going to do that? Um, so a lot of people, myself included, take, can tend to take a little bit of like an all or nothing mentality. It's very easy to be a little bit defeated. Um, but that's why I wanted to focus on the beeswax wraps was that it was something that was manageable. It wasn't overwhelming. It's, you know, you could start with that one particular habit. And again, the wraps themselves are fun and the prints are quite nice and they make you feel good when you're using them. And that's how I want people to feel when they're, you know, entering into and exploring um, this zero waste lifestyle is that, you know, you, I want it to be fun and informative for people, not daunting and overwhelming. So how much of what you do is actually education? So quite a lot. When we first started, um, people didn't really know even what beeswax wraps were. So when we would go to farmer's markets and things like that, the education was solely based around the wraps themselves. I found that in particular the first year, year and a half. Last year, I would say there was quite a shift where um, there's much more awareness now, I would say in the last year um, in general, especially within Canada as a whole, I'd say the world, um, just about plastics and the problems and people wanting to be more conscious and more aware. So I've shifted a lot in um, Instagram is sort of our main platform for what we do. Um, so that's shifted to be a bit more of a lifestyle brand. I like educating people in the areas that I know about um, of zero waste living, other habits that they can implement, people asking questions, creating a bit more of that community atmosphere um, about trying to be more eco-friendly, even sharing, you know, the challenges that I have and things like that as well, I find people really resonate with. So you mentioned challenges. What are some of the most interesting challenges you've had in this journey? In terms of going zero waste, I think one of my early ones that I really struggled with was not, and this is, I find it kind of funny, was I had this urge to just like purge anything that was in plastic in my living space. Like I just wanted to like get it. I was I didn't want to look at it. It made me feel icky. I didn't, you know, it didn't feel nice. I just wanted it to not be in, in my sight. Um, but realizing that again, throwing out, say, you know, dishwasher fluid that is in a plastic bottle that's still perfectly good, that's actually more wasteful than if I just wait and use <laughs> the rest of the detergent until it's done and then, you know, try and dispose of it as properly as I can. Um, so for me, that was a big one. I, I struggled with that for quite a while um, when I first was getting into more eco-friendly living was, you know, realizing that it's okay um, to have some of these things around and, you know, there are still going to be those products in your life and that you don't need to go through this massive purge. You don't need to throw out a bunch of things and buy all new products. It's, um, you know, using what you can and then, you know, just changing habits over time, that this is a process. It takes years. You know, you're probably not going to do this in a couple of months. So you've mentioned habits a few times and, you know, people learning, I guess, micro habits, which I really appreciate. I think that's a great way to learn. If you could, you know, advise people on, let's say, look around your home and obviously besides your product, what are two or three other products that they could perhaps look at and say, you know what, maybe we can eliminate that and shift our habits to something else? What would they be? Yeah, I think some of the more popular ones are, of course, um, you know, reusables that you would bring yourself. So reusable bags to the grocery store um, or using, you know, produce bags instead of the plastic bags um, that you would find at a grocery store as well. Um, reusable water bottles. That's always one that kills me. Um, I don't understand why most people would be drinking out of a water bottle this day and age, but it happens sometimes. I always say, you know, bring your own, fill it from the tap, fill it from a fountain. Um, 
If you can remember to also bring your own coffee cup, those are also really good ones as well. And you can find really beautiful ceramic ones. Again, things that you enjoy bringing those things into your life that you actually, you know, feel good about bringing with you um, is, I think, a bit more of an incentive for you to remember to use them and to remember to bring them. Um, Another big one that doesn't have to do with, you know, necessarily bringing your own items is I would say shifting to try and buy things in bulk when you can. A lot of bulk food stores now will allow you to bring, you know, reusable produce bags or actually bring the jars with you and then weigh them in advance. And there's so much that you can get at a bulk food store that you would normally get at a grocery store. Um, But you're saving so much plastic by just going and buying them in bulk. And a lot of times you're actually saving money by doing that as well. Those are all great ideas. And, you know, I so agree with you regarding the plastic bottles, the drinking water. I, I, I see them everywhere. And, you know, we as a family try to be very conscious about carrying our own water bottles and filling them up. And I'm so glad that airports converted a few years ago to allowing you to fill your water bottles inside. But yes. that's that's when I think we can all, you know, perhaps easily eliminate from our lives. Mm-hmm. And there's so many things that you could do. Like I could go on with a very lengthy list. Um, but I think the key too is to just do one thing at a time and really focus on that. And then I've found, and again, of my experiences and people that I've spoken with is once you're in the habit and it's something that's, it, it's not even like a like a, a habit anymore. It's just part of your daily life that you bring your water bottle. It's something that's not conscious. You don't even necessarily think about it. It's not an, a, a huge effort for you to do then that's when I would say you would maybe add in another thing that you would like to change, you know, and then you get to that point with um, that particular thing that you're trying to change in your life. And you just keep, keep adding things in over time. And I find that that's a good way to not get overwhelmed. Because again, I could send, you know, a list of 100 things that people could do, but you know, trying to do all 100 of them at the same time is probably not going to be very sustainable in the long run, which is interesting, because that's always it word that we throw around a lot in terms of sustainability in the environment, but sustainability in that, you know, is this something that I can continue to do every day for the rest of my life? Or is it going to be overwhelming and I'm going to have, you know, anxiety and stress brought on and, and, you know, and just give up. Um, So I think that that's something that we also try and focus on at Goldilocks as well as making sure that, you know, the things that we're suggesting are trying to, you know, help guide people along with, we're by no means experts, um, either you know we fail we're human nobody's perfect Um, but just again that we're all trying I think is the big thing we're all trying together yeah I think you're spot on especially with the habits you know I've been studying habits for a while now and I think you know what you're mentioning here regarding stacking habits perhaps or you know slowly removing one to add one in I think that's you know that helps people fight some of the overwhelm instead of just trying to add one additional thing to their life. What can we remove and perhaps add in a new habit or perhaps change slightly, you know, micro habits or micro dosing with habits. So I think you're spot on regarding that. Yeah. And I think those Um, things add up over time as well. And that's the thing to remember too. I think sometimes people will think that, you know, well, it isn't really going to matter if I bring my reusable bag and it's one of those things where, you know, but collectively that's when we make a difference, right? Absolutely. Now, have the laws changed up there where you are, where you can no longer get plastic bags in the stores? So this is actually really interesting. Um, there were bylaws that were passed. Um, it was a really big campaign through an organization called Surf Rider. I love all of the work that they do. Um, it was called Ban the Bag was the campaign. And they had um, you know, gone to various city officials and government. And it was, it was passed. Um, so it was a bylaw for quite some time here in Victoria that yeah, if you went to any store, particularly grocery stores, um, they would no longer be providing you with any kind of plastic bag. 
um, if you forgot to bring your own, um, there were paper bags that you could buy instead. Um, now it did go to a higher court. I don't remember the exact details of it, um, but somewhere, I don't think it might've been the BC Supreme Court. Um, I could be wrong about that, um, but it was actually overturned, which was very unfortunate. So legally it's no longer a bylaw in Victoria, but uh, any store that I've been to in the last quite a while, it's been a few months, um, maybe even a year since that happened, everybody's still operating as if the bylaw is in place, which was, I think, even in some ways an even bigger win, <laughs> you know, to know that people care enough and the stores care enough to see that once that system was implemented, it was working and and that's what the customers wanted because um, people would have been very upset had they gone back to their, their old ways. So um, I think they're still working on having some things actually written into the laws, um, but it is a very complicated process and that's unfortunately... Why right now a lot of that falls on us as the consumer? Um, I would love to see that change. I think it also needs to come from the top down as well. But that just takes a lot longer. I think personal changes are, you know, something we can implement much easier and much more quickly. So that's interesting. I wonder who fought against it. I'm again don't know 100% all the details. I think that it was actually I, there are um, like lobbying companies that exist for plastic bag companies. Um, and things like that for that industry, <laughs> which is crazy to me, but they apparently have enough money that they can go and do these things. So yeah, it was rather unfortunate. That's fascinating. Mm -hmm. You shared some advice earlier regarding bringing your own bottles, bulk shopping, carrying bags. One of the questions I like to ask is, if you could share some advice or words of wisdom with the audience, what would it be? So since you've already shared some, what additional advice or words of wisdom could you share? I think one thing that I like to share with people, but also to remind, I need to remind myself of this a lot, is that it's about progress, not perfection. That's always a saying that we have around the office. Um, because I think it's very easy to be hard on yourself and have, you know, being more eco-friendly turn into something that can be quite stressful, or you put a lot of pressure on yourself, or you, you know, worry that if you make a mistake, people are going to judge you. Um, but I think that the goal is to just, you know, do something that's better than for the environment than what you were doing before. And it might not be perfect, but at least we're headed in the right direction. So I always like to remind myself and others of that. I love that idea of progress, not perfection. That, mm -hmm. that's, that's a beautiful takeaway. So Amy, I'd be remiss not to ask what kind of sharks were you diving with? <laughs> so there was actually a couple. I did several shark dives while I was there. Um, the first one that I did was with bull sharks. Um, there was about 50 of them that came for the feeding that particular day. Um, the footage I have is amazing. I was like, I was like a kid in a candy store. I was so excited and, and absolutely in awe. It was amazing. Um, and then I did a separate dive. Um, I don't know, a few weeks later with a tiger shark. That was a very different experience though. I felt like when we were diving with the bull sharks, um, to be fair, they're for these particular shark dives, just to elaborate for anybody who's never been on one, um, it's not like a traditional scuba diving. You're actually sitting on the bottom. You're wearing extra weight, so you're not swimming around with them because that would be very chaotic <laughs> to have, you know, 15 or however many people, you know, swimming around. Um, so what we do is we sit on the bottom. There's a reef behind us. The staff um, sit behind you to make sure that, you know, no sneaky shark decides to, you know, come around and come up from behind and startle you. Um, and then there's usually a feeding going on in front. That's usually how they attract them. Um, and then you essentially, so it's almost set up like an arena in that sense. And then you sit and you get to watch. The trip that I was on with the bull sharks, because it was a volunteer project, we were also identifying the sharks. So you have to learn 
certain features about them um, to, and they all have names. And then we all, um, if you've been there for long enough, you get a slate and you get to like, you know, you have to write a test in order to pass to know that you know all of the sharks, but um, you have a slate that you would write down all of the names on. And then there's, so there's a lot of um, data tracking that goes on. So, you know, if they haven't seen a particular shark for say several months, but then it's a female shark and she comes back and she's pregnant, um, you know, where did she go? That kind of raises other questions that they can do research into. Um, but anyway, so that's how it's kind of set up for that particular project. Um, and the bull sharks remind me a little bit, people will laugh about this, um, in that particular setting, because they're feeding, they kind of remind you of like puppy dogs, like all they cared about was the food. They did not care that there were humans there at all. If they swam towards you, they were like, well, you're not what I'm looking for, you know, and just turn around and be like, you know, get out of my way. So it was very entertaining to watch that. Um, my dive with the tiger shark was a very different experience. She was, there was, it was one female. She was quite large. I think she was about like three meters long. Um, and she was the only one there. So it wasn't a group of sharks and she was much more, um, kind of skittish, I guess would be the word. So she would kind of, you know, come up to where we were and then do a sharp turn and do like a full circle around where we were and then swim away. And that was a little unnerving, but also, one of the coolest experiences I think I've ever had. <laughs> well, I'm unnerved just hearing it. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, Amy, this has been a pleasure, you know, from shark diving to, you know, plastics and saving the environment. I really appreciate your time today. It's great speaking with you and I look forward to catching up with you again soon. Yes. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you, Amy. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.